0: Welcome to the Issues of Sports, the NCAA Tournament Edition. I am Evan Emac Mikovski, and I'm with my partner, Rudy Roodog-Reyes, and we are coming out of the gates fired up because we have CBS Studio Analysts for College Basketball. It all starts tomorrow. Clark Kellogg, Clark, you're... Uh, you know, turning things up here in basically three weeks. Here we go, right? Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah, we're on the roller coaster. We're strapped in, man, and we're going to take our first trip up to the highest peak before this thing comes down and starts twists and turns and all the unpredictability that's part of what we we love about this time of year in March Madness. So, yeah, it's time to turn it up. We're um, excited and amped and looking forward to A 16-game day tomorrow (laughs) and Friday. We'll reduce it to eight on Saturday, eight on Sunday. So if you do the math, that's 48 games in four days. Me and my colleagues, Sir Charles Barkley, Kenny Smith, Greg Gumbel, and obviously our great team behind the scenes will be manning the studio from New York.
0: Let's let's get into that. We'll get into your your pick as uh Gonzaga as the national championship shortly, but you mentioned Charles Barkley and Kenny and I want you to be honest here without we're not throwing them under the bus, but how much college basketball because they only have so much time with their NBA sure. schedule. With, right. let's just be honest, you know, they they there's a joke. But now is Charles Barkley's job there curating Tell me what you see if you're breaking down a play. But he. It, I have to think you know so much more, at least, about the players and, yeah. and the schools and the records and you know right. r- versus them. And part of that is just there's only so much time for them, and they have to do their NBA job.
1: No doubt. We all have a limited amount of bandwidth for what we're called to do. I'm clearly focused on the college basketball season. I start preparing for the tournament in October watching practices, going to practices, watching volumes and volumes and volumes of games. Obviously, Kenny and Charles are locked into the NBA. It will be me, like me, helicoptering into the NBA for a few weeks. So it works fine, though, because we know basketball. They have a tremendous passion for the game, knowledge of the game. And I'm there because I've been watching these kids all year long, these teams, these coaches. And we can have nice banter off air that actually – materializes on air as we're watching games. I mean, the game is not complicated when you've played at the level those guys have played at. And both were tremendous college players. And Charles is a Hall of Famer. Kenny was an outstanding NBA player and a Mm two-time champion. So basketball is basketball. And they know it as well as anybody. Their personalities add tremendously to our coverage. Their insights are on point. And it works, the three of us together. There's great mutual respect. There's great knowledge of the game, passion for the game. And clearly, I mean, I'm watching more and more. So I have reams of information that I can share with the viewer, but also can share with my colleagues. And we do that for the sake of um, everybody being able to uh, make a really good contribution to elevating and serving the game. And hopefully we're giving you information, but also causing you to exercise your laugh muscles a
2: little bit too. (laughs) Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Live muscle, <laughs> you know. Everybody wants to call it bandwidth. I call it man right because yeah, that's have, fine. Yeah. <laughs> because you have a lot of guys that are in different locations, reporters, sideline reporters, people that are out of studio in studio. So a lot of correlation, a lot of communication uh, yeah. across the board. When they say madness, there is no joke. I've been to Elite Eights. I've been to Final Fours. Uh, and one thing I do know, it is a madhouse inside of the arenas. I can't even imagine what it's like to have these conversations about several different teams. Teams in yeah. a 15- to 30-second, you know, brain, maybe even a five-minute stint after one team gets upsetted. How, do, how, <laughs> you, how are you guys able to really kind of dial in and, and refine this doing it year after year after year in the studio? How does that work? Yeah.
1: You know, Rude Dog, it's actually staying true to the fundamentals. I mean, we're there to provide insight into the game, and we want to do it in an informative, entertaining fashion. We want to be authentic and real. And that comes across. We love the game. This is a special sporting event. It's one of the most popular sporting events on the calendar. And it is crazy. I mean, behind the scenes, our producers, directors, graphics operators, all of the folks that make up the team are running on adrenaline. You're talking 16 games starting at noon tomorrow. We won't get off the air until sometime between 12, 15, and maybe 1 a.m., and then we'll have to, you know, hit rinse and repeat and do it again on Friday, and then it gradually starts to wane in terms of the length of days and volume of games, to where you get an exhale when you head into the Sweet 16 next week. But really, it's all about preparation, being enthusiastic and engaged in what you're doing, which is very easy to do because of the the, the love affair that we all have with the game, and then the personalities that are there um, make for a great team, and we really all are extremely grateful for what we get to do. Before we know we... how special this thing is and to be able to have a chance to bring it to the masses. It's a um, it's a tremendous gift for us and we try not to take that for granted.
0: Uh, Clark, before we get into the brackets, this is uh, who I know. He's a friend of yours. I know him through growing up in Connecticut, Jim Nance, and this is going to be his last NCAA tournament. You've been with CBS forever. I mean, I even know my, he I believe in 1990, UNLV blew out Duke, and uh, that was, I believe, Brent Musburger's last game. And I think next year in 91, when... Yeah, Duke upset UNLV, and then they beat Kansas in the finals. That I think was Jim Nance's first final. So I think you made be... very well.
1: Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're exactly right, Evan.
0: Because I remember him hosting from McNichols Arena in Denver in 1990. And the, mm-hmm. but uh, he's a we know what a great broadcaster. You did the games with him. You've interacted with him. You know him personally. Um, it, A great broadcaster is uh, an iron Eagle is also is supplanting Jim Nance and iron Eagle is very worthy of that number one chair in and also another sport in football iron Eagle, which Nance is not stepping aside iron Eagles terrific so I mean a great broadcaster that is coming in, but but Jim Nance is leaving college basketball and i know university of houston where he 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 was freddie couple's roommate i i believe but they're the number one seed and this is going to be it for college basketball and jim nance what can you um say about the broadcaster his contribution to college basketball, basically calling, you know, the championship game for some semblance of 30 years. And I know you know him as a person well off the air.
1: Yeah, first and foremost, as an individual, he's as good as it gets. Genuine, authentic, caring, compassionate. Um, he's special to be around. And I counted a privilege to call him a friend. I really do. I mean, I enjoyed the five years we were able to work together, calling the national championship game but he's a legendary voice in all of broadcasting legendary voice with still quite a bit of runway in front of him Mm -hmm. he's actually decided to get off the basketball runway in college basketball but he's had 30 plus years of being the voice of college basketball not just calling the games but being a real advocate and ambassador and caregiver and guardian of the game i mean he has a real passion and care for the Stories for the people, and the stories are all people, whether they're players or their families or coaches. And he has an unbelievable way of telling stories and also recalling the history of the game. That's something that you just don't have unless you've been around a long time and you've done it at a certain level of excellence. So he will be missed from that standpoint. I mean, for a full generation plus, probably two or three generations of basketball fans, he's been synonymous with the tournament. I started at CBS full time in ninety-seven. This will be my twenty-sixth or twenty-seventh final four, either in the studio or calling the games. And Nance surplant, you know, he surpasses me by a handful of years in that regard. So it's been an unbelievable run. He felt it was time to transition. I'm thrilled for Ian. He's one of yeah. the outstanding broadcasters in the business. And he's really, I think. He's great at everything he does, Ian, but I think he's really ideal in basketball. He's got a cadence, a rhythm, mm-hmm. and he does so much basketball at the NBA level. In addition the Nets. To college. Yeah, so he's it's a, it's a great opportunity. And it just speaks to the quality of our talent pool here at CBS. The continuity, Ian has been there. Him and Spinarco make a fantastic team. I've had the privilege of working with Ian, as have other analysts at CBS. And he, too, is as good as it gets in his own style and his own way. Um, but, Jim, iconic. Hall of Famer, legendary, and uh, has left the game better because of how he served it and how he served the people in it. He's uh, highly esteemed and greatly admired and respected by his uh, colleagues and peers because he's um, treated folks with um, class and dignity, and he's done his work uh, with great class and dignity and excellence. And um, again, I count it a privilege to be able to reach
2: out to him as a friend. I'm going to miss him, especially you said uh, headway. It makes me think of fairway because uh, I'm sure with the, that part of his career in retirement mode, he's going to be able to help facilitate his golf game to be that much better. <laughs> so He'll <laughs> play alongside of Tony Romo. Uh, and I, from what I heard, Tony Romo is very good uh, at golf. Yeah, well. I think they so, both have
1: pretty good sticks. I know Tony's got a pretty good yeah. one and Jim is, and that he's he's working to get to that level as well.
2: Yeah, it 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 just takes time and of course don't put me on a golf course, I'll slice it every time. Um I, I think college basketball is gonna miss probably one of the greatest, if not the greatest, um to ever call games and his fluidity, his his verbiage, the way that he does it's uh, just yeah. something something special. Uh, and for those that aren't listening or paying attention, you should go back. Go to YouTube. You're going to find some great stuff on Jim yeah. Nance. Oh, yeah. um, and oh, yeah. I, maybe one day there'll be a, an ask 30 for 30 on Jim Nance to go over his career, his highlights, his, his life, uh, and whatever challenges and adversities have faced him where he's gone above and beyond and went over. So that, that's certainly something to uh, talk about as well.
1: Oh, no huh? doubt. No doubt. He's, he's had a wonderful career. He's lived a full life. And not, it hasn't been without some adversity and challenges. I remember when he lost his dad, um, just oh, recently yeah. lost his mom. I mean, none of us are uh, immune to those types of uh, ups and downs, those types of sorrows that are part of living life. And um, he's encountered them and handled them with the level of grace and um, fortitude that, that's admirable. And uh, his work is very public-facing because sports is so highly esteemed in our culture and around the world. And those who are playing the game, but also those who are broadcasting, particularly play-by-play announcers, commentators, those people tend to be remembered by the fans of the game and those who are playing and officiating and participating in the game. So it's a really privileged position that, that, that we hold. And he's held it uh, with with great excellence and real class. And, um, again, he's, um, he's as good as it gets when you think about who he is as a person and also what he's done, the longevity of excellence in one, his work is unmatched. One,
0: one last question. And then I promise we'll get right to the bracket and then we'll get you out of here. But the, my last question on broadcasters is one other who I used to interview when you used to come on in St. Louis was, Billy Packer, and he passed away somewhat yeah. recently. And also another broadcaster that's kind of, you know, out of the spotlight is still alive is, is Dick Vitale. And since we're yeah. talking about it, maybe I thought maybe you could weigh in on those two people because, um, you know, if you, if you, if you rewind the clock, say, when I was in college at Syracuse, I was there 90 94 to 98. I remember Dick Vitale was in the college bookstore signing books, (laughs) and I mean it was like he was like a rock. The rock star was coming to town if he was calling a game. Now I know he doesn't do tournament games. I've heard rumors. CBS has asked him, but whatever it is, if you could just briefly just sum each of them up. I'm, I, you can't sum them up in just a few words, but. No, you sure can't. You sure yeah, can't either. But, and, and then, and then I promise we'll, we'll get right into the brackets. Go, all right, go ahead.
1: Yeah, you know, I spent eight years at ESPN. Dick and I never worked together, but we were colleagues and comrades and co-workers. We did the same thing in terms of being analysts. And Dick had such a, has had such a unique impact on the game. His enthusiasm, his energy, his unique phraseology, um, he became quite a personality and was synonymous in many ways with the growth in college basketball, as was Billy Packard, in a different kind of way. Billy's analysis was spot on. He had a tremendous um, ability to capture and tie in the history of the game to current analysis. Um, never missed anything when it came to breaking down the game as far as strategy. Always had opinions that were based on research and fact and would cause you to think whether you agreed with him or not. He would stir your pot a little bit to cause you to think about the bigger picture. And, you know, as a colleague at CBS, anytime I was with or around Billy, I learned something. I learned something about caring for the game, about keeping the game central, how you think about the game uh, in terms of what's on the horizon. Uh, Nobody did it better than, than Billy Packer. He set a high bar for all of us as analysts because he was not only an analyst, but he was a caretaker and guardian of the game, and he was also a um, thought leader in the game. That's unique. Dick is much the same way, in a different personality, a different style, but you strip that away, and the fabric of their hearts and their passion for the game was genuine and impactful and leaves a legacy that um, will continue long after Billy, obviously, um, sadly has passed away. Um, but Dick is still going relatively strong for somebody that's um, four score years plus. And so we'll see how long that lasts. But both have had indelible, left had and have left indelible marks on the people that they interacted with, most importantly, but the game that they love and called um, as college basketball um, commentators.
0: Last year, Clark uh, Gonzaga was the favorite everybody seemed to pick them they didn't win they didn't even make the final four they've had i haven't done the counting but a handful of years where they've been yeah. championship worthy if you want to use that no term doubt. and you no said doubt. it's time basically on the sh- on the selection show you said i'm taking the gonzaga bulldogs to win the championship as a three seed yeah tell.
1: Yeah, you know, you look across the landscape, it's gotten a lot flatter, guys, because of the transfer portal. More and more teams are older and better, although we don't have the great teams we've had in recent years. You think about Baylor and Gonzaga a couple of years ago, it was pretty clear they had set a gap between themselves and others. You've had years in the past, Kansas in 08, Carolina in 09, um, Carolina in 05, uh, was at Memphis and Kansas in 08, yeah. Kentucky in 12. I mean, you've had years where it was pretty clear who the best teams were, whether or not they were going to win it. You always have to play it out. But there was clearly a gap this year. Not so much. Alabama has looked like the most consistent two way team. But I like Gonzaga because, you know, they always have been efficient offensively. They've gotten better. Their role players have started to become stars in their roles. You think about Watson. You think about Strather as a, a potential NBA player. So he's got great talent, but he's really taking his game to another level. Bolton is rock solid. Uh, Hickman and Silas have started to establish themselves. And Timmy is—he's um, got the most points of any player playing in the tournament in terms of tournament points. He's got the most um, career tournament points of any active player. And you build—you you put that in—in in, in line with with, uh, with Coach Few. And they've got as good a chance as anybody to be able to win it. Houston was my favorite until Sasser's injury. I mean, I just don't know what that groin injury is going to do to him. And they can't win it without him. They can win a couple of games in the tournament. But if he's not close to 100%, then I can't see them getting to Houston and winning the national championship. So that's why I picked Xavier in that region. I love the offensive firepower of Xavier. Um, despite losing a starter in Zach Fremantle for the year recently. um, They've still got enough. Um, Alabama, again, deserving of the overall number one seed. Uh, They've got a lot to like, and they've won different ways. And then Purdue, uh, balanced. the big guy is as unique as you can find in recent memory in college basketball, Zach Eady. And the players around him, I think, are playing at a pretty good level. So those are my four on Selection Sunday that I picked to get to the Final Four, and I threw my hat in the ring for the Zags because it very well could just be their time. They've been knocking at the door, two championship games, 17 and 21, came up short, number one seed multiple times. Uh, they've been championship caliber. You can be a championship caliber team and not get the trophy, and it may be their time to to be
2: both. Yeah, I actually love – I I love Purdue. I'm going to be honest with you. I really love Purdue. Edie has done so many different things. Yeah. And the way that he's done them uh, yeah. with being, a, I guess, a multi-sport athlete, for lack yeah. of a better term, he's just yeah. been so dominant in so many different ways. I mean, it really helps the fact that he's only two feet below the actual iron uh, on the backboard, mm-hmm. but, but, but the way that he does it and, and the fact yeah. that he can be the the willing passer, the guy to get mm-hmm. someone in the perimeter from three, um, and they use him in so many different ways. It, it's hard to say that, um, and, and of course, Purdue's not my overall favorite, but there's certainly someone to watch. They, they just want to win in so many different ways, fast break opportunities, points off those fast breaks. They just look really good, really solid, uh, but then you talk about Alabama coming out of the East as well, who just looks like the best two-way team uh, that, that I've seen in in some time um, opposite of where Michigan was back in 2018, you know, where they were a staple center. They ultimately won it all um, because of their dominance on both ends of the court. Alabama kind of reminds me of that esque, if you will, Um, Alabama just looks really, really good. And, I think not only are they deserving of the number one seed, but I think they'll not only retain that, but play that way throughout the tournament. Whether they come up short or not, that remains to be seen. But I just think Alabama just looks really, really good. Um, Their uh, passing, uh, ball location, shot selection, um, who they get it to, who's the give and go, who's the who's the sixth man. You know, they, they just make it all work for them.
1: Yeah, no, they're a complete team. I agree with you. Uh, Rudy, they're a great – they're a really complete team. I mean, they've got a tremendous player in Brandon Miller. Uh, he's, he's poised for a freshman. He scores at every, at every spot on the floor. And then they've got size. They're, they defend at a really high level. They've not shot the three ball as well as they're capable of shooting, and yet they've still continued to win games. And it can be really scary if they start to knock down threes with any regularity. Because they do everything else. They offensive rebound. They challenge shots. They defensive rebound. They score in transition. They score at the rim. They get to the foul line. there's just not a lot of holes that you can poke into the Crimson Tide um, game. Um, So I I agree with you. I mean, they deserve the overall number one seed. And um, they'll get tested at some point. But um, I'd be surprised um, if they weren't able to get out of that south bracket and, and head to Houston.
0: Clark, give me some teams, however many you want, that you think are going to make some noise. It could be, you know, uh, uh, it could be a, even a Duke team. I don't, It doesn't have to be a, you know, 9 or a 10 or an 11, but if you see, yeah. give me some seed, give me some yeah, teams I you will. think that I could. Will. I'll could, could, just go right could, through each, I'll, EMAC, I'll go through each region. <laughs> I'll look at the
1: South. I love the College of Charleston team. I really do. I love their depth. They've got five guys, average double digits. They shoot a ton of threes. They make 10 a game. They're gritty. They uh, have tremendous savvy. uh, And they know how to win. I mean, they've won a bunch of games. And the matchup with San Diego State is comfortable. Of the 12 of the double-digit seeds in the South, I like Charleston. And I also like Furman. I like their offensive firepower. They, too, are a team that scores the ball at a high level. They're going to play a Virginia team that's excellent defensively but not nearly as high-powered as they've been in the past. I think those two teams, if you're looking at double-digit seeds, are really interesting to me. And Utah State and Missouri, that's going to be a fun game. Both of these teams get up and down. Um, so that, that's who I look. At. I like Creighton too as an out, as a dark. What do you like
0: Utah State or Missouri? Because I got I got people in St. Louis. They want to know. Yeah, St. yeah, yeah.
1: I'm gonna go, I'm gonna with Dennis Gates in Missouri. Um, they pressure you. They turn people over at a high rate. They make threes. Kobe Brown's a hard matchup. So I'm gonna give the slight edge to Missouri in that. One. That's who I would pick in that game. But Utah State is um, gonna give them a, a pretty good fight. I would believe. What?
0: Um, then yeah, go ahead. No, I was just gonna say. What about? The defending champions, the Kansas Jayhawks. They're the one. Yeah, we'll go out west, west now.
1: Since you want you want me to go out west, yeah. The one problem with Kansas is they've had some games that are just head scratches as far as off lacking offensive firepower. I mean, they don't have a dominant inside presence, so they don't get points that way. They use they get points moving, spacing, driving, knocking down threes. They face a formidable big guy, a guy like a Timmy, a guy like a uh, Sanogo. Those are the kind of guys I think could be problematic for for the Jayhawks. But I love the way they play, and Bill Self is as good as it gets when you're talking about a sideline coach. In that region, Arkansas is interesting. They've been banged up. Can they find the three-point shot to go along with um, decent defense? They haven't been quite as disruptive defensively as they've been in the past. Um, But Gonzaga is my pick there. UConn is the team that um, may very well – could very well come out of a real tough top four seed region. As a matter of fact, those four seeds are the are the toughest four, um, toughest seeds one through four in any region, I think. And then I love um, – I like Memphis. I think Memphis is the best – is the most dangerous eight seed in the tournament, Duke and Kentucky. Uh, we know about their, uh, their blue-bloodedness, but also they've struggled a bit, Duke playing really well.
2: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: those teams are dangerous. Those teams are dangerous. Um, sitting where they're seated a double digit seed to keep an eye on in the East. I like Louisiana. They've got a big kid, Jordan Brown, who um, could play at any division at any high power school. Um, And they've got good guards around him. Tennessee losing to Kai Ziegler. That's a huge loss. Um, I like Louisiana, Louisiana to really test Tennessee in that, in that East region. And then finally in the Midwest, Kent state, Indiana, I've got that game circled Kent state, took Gonzaga to the wire in Spokane earlier in the year, lost to Houston by a basket. They're for real. They score it. They've got a great guard and sincere carry, guy who can make shots, make plays, and he's not alone. And they can be a little disruptive defensively. So that's a game that I'm really looking forward to seeing is that indiana um, Kent State game.
2: Yeah, you know what? A head scratcher for me was how Kansas uh, didn't make it to the Midwest region over Houston. I, I find that very odd. What are your take yeah. on that yeah. exactly? Yeah, you know, I don't, I'm dig just, the, I don't think into the, the weeds like, of
1: the seeding and the brackets. I actually read Jerry Palm's article today, and he made great points when you talk about balance of the regions and Kansas over Houston. But it's splitting hairs to me, guys. Mm. You know, ultimately, sometimes you feel like you've got got the short end of the stick on on the seating and the location, um, and sometimes you end up with better matchups. You know, Jay, War- Jay Wright talked about they dropped from the one line to the two line one year, and they won the national championship. So you can't get hung up on it. Clearly, it's something to talk about and discuss for those that are into the bracketology elements, and they're valid points. But now the, the, the bracket's established. It's about going out and playing. Now, how do you figure out – how do you find a way to advance? And so all of the stuff around what led to where you are has no bearing on whether you're going to advance what's going to have bearing on whether you advance is how you play. And that's what we're all most interested in.
0: Clark. Thank you so much. CBS sports college basketball studio analyst, Clark. Kellogg, if you're viewing this tomorrow, it's today. You can watch him. What is it? 16 hours of hoops. It's wall wall man. 18 yeah, out warm. of 24 hours. You're going to be sleeping in the break room. Is that what's going on? No, no,
1: no. I get my rest in my hotel room, Eva.
0: And I'm,
1: I'm, I'm live and awake and ready to go strong when we're on the air. But once we're off, I'll make sure I get my rest and then re it. And get ready for the next day.
0: Well, you said a lot of nice things about other broadcasters. So let me say uh, a couple nice things about you. I think you're super talented. You know your college hoops. You're great at predicting games. You really have a feel for the atmosphere in the moment. You've been doing this a long time. And it's a, it's a treat to see you every year on TV oh, during thanks, the tournament. Man. It's almost like a rite of passage of spring.
1: No, I really appreciate those words, man. Thank you much. Very much heart touching. Thank yes. you, bro. I'm glad uh, to get. I'm
2: glad I get to do what I do, man. I really am. we well, I'm, I'm, I'm going to add to that. I, actually, <laughs> I'm to that, and then I'll let everybody else go. Um, it, it it's so it's so good to know that there are people like yourself who is not only a student of the game but so aware of the of the intrinsic components, the the real deep ends and, and the and the real deep outs of college basketball. There's not a lot of people, at least the ones that I know that are um, not only well-versed, but how to give someone that who's maybe a layman tuning in for the very first time mm-hmm. ever and not yeah. have the chance to ever watch college basketball, but yet stay glued because of the knowledge that you exhibit every single time. Wow. you be. So thank you for that. It's fantastic. Thank you, man. That's really one
1: it. of my goals is to help everybody enjoy the game, whether you're a rabid fan who's immersed in the game or whether you're just a casual fan who's, helicoptering in with your bracket. Hopefully when you hear us talk about it, you'll go away informed and perhaps entertained too.
0: Well, Hopefully. that's going to wrap things up. Thanks a lot to CBS's Clark Kellogg. Watch him with Greg Gumbel, Kenny Smith, Charles Barkley in the studio throughout the NCAA tournament through the Final Four and final Monday Night Championship night, which will be Jim Nance's last broadcast that will be in Houston. So that's too much information as it is. I want to thank Clark. I want to thank Rudy, Rudog Dog, Reyes. Thank you for listening to the Issues of Sports And we will see you on the next episode.